Welcome to the Fantasy NASCAR Podcast. I am Pierce Dietrich. You can follow me on Twitter at Race for the Prize. You can also go to RaceForThePrize.com. That's where you can get access to the Fantasy NASCAR spreadsheet. At this website, it simply tells you what you can get and how to pay me. Once you send the money over, it's just a pretty simple, old-school process of PayPal, Venmo, or Cash App, and then I'll add you to it. No credit card processing, no sign-ups, no legal requirements. Send me a couple bucks, like you're paying the babysitter, and I'll watch your kids. That's how it works. And there's no commitment. Like, ah, I don't like the spreadsheet, or it didn't live up to the standards. That's all right. See you later. Today we're talking clash, practice, correlation, a lot of data on the screen. I need to find a way to get this all to fit. Let's see if we can get full screen. This might make it a little bit better. So what you can see here in the name of this sheet is last. This is last clash race. And what we can do from week to week with the Fantasy NASCAR spreadsheet at racefortheprize.com is look at previous races. We'll look at the outcomes, and then we'll look at what happened before the race. We can look at the practice times. We can look at my own projections to analyze my own process, or you can investigate my own process and criticize my own process, which... If you are looking to do, hey, in the clash last year, who did I predict would score the most fancy points? The guy that, well, technically he didn't score the most, but he did win the race and finished the second most fancy points, so pretty happy about that. Anyway, you can see all the practice data on your screen. might be kind of small because there's so much data on this specific tab or sheet, so hopefully you can see it on the screen. If not, hey, there's a solution to that. Sign up for the Fantasy NASCAR spreadsheet. So you can see one lap speed ranking. Truex ran down the fastest one lap in 2023. Five lap average, 10 lap average, along with their specific speeds. Shrink that down. 15 lap, 20 lap, 25. We get all that data. We don't usually get 25 lap runs from everybody, but... At this specific racetrack, you're going to. So we get a ton of practice data. And then we can decide if that data correlates with, you can see maybe how it influenced my projections. I think it probably did yours too. If you got Martin Trick Jr. starting second, he's basically on top of the board for everything. How could you project him for anything other than a first place finish? And how could you expect him not to score 37 all points? Now, maybe, well, it's going to take him a little while to get around Almirola, but he will get there, and he did. And I gave Almirola 16 because he was on the pole. I was like, oh, well, his numbers aren't as great as Truex. Yeah, but he's on the pole at a crazy track that it's hard to pass. And in the end, he ended up with 10, so feel pretty confident with that projection as well. Pretty happy with that. Obviously, I missed on Priest, who ends up scoring the most fantasy points at 64. He finishes seventh, and the reason he missed is because, look, live by practice, die by practice. Just a lesson that we always have to learn. You've got to trust the practice data, but you cannot be married to the practice data. You can use that tool, that statistic, to help you make some picks, but maybe not all of your picks. You can't allow it to always influence your direction. And it's pretty subjective at times. It's going to be track dependent and it's going to be situational. But you always need to be aware of it. But you absolutely can never just only look at practice data. Imagine playing another fantasy sport 
and only looking at one statistic. I'm only going to look at usage. We're only going to look at minutes played. We're only going to look at routes run. We're only going to look at this is a bad defense. I'm just going to look at the matchup. You got to look at all the measures. You got to use all the metrics. And you look at Ryan Priest, last year's clash, short run speed. I mean, he's not fast at all. His average overall, though, was seven if you took it all of his laps together. But no one is looking at Ryan Priest saying he's going to lead laps and run fast laps. You could have believed that he could be a place differential value play. Sure. But if you were heavily leaning on practice data, you had less Priest than anyone else. Although, again, I will say his average running position wasn't terrible. Five lap average, 10 lap, 15, 20, 25. It gets a little better as you get to 25. You look at overall ranking based on NASCAR and then overall ranking based on mine. It's a little bit better. And we'll see that in the end, he ends up what? Leading, gets 11 lap sled points, six fast lap points. It's going to happen from time to time. And that brings us to the point of this podcast here at the Fancy NASCAR Podcast, brought to you by RaceForThePrize.com and the glorious Fancy NASCAR Racing Sheets, is that how predictive is practice? It's going to vary from track to track, from situation to situation. It's never going to be perfect. At Daytona, it's going to be absolutely worthless to the most point. But it's always going to be somewhere in between, and that's the beauty of Fantasy NASCAR is it's up to you. And you have two decisions. You can take on that challenge and use spreadsheets and data and try to build your own lineups and differentiate. Or you can say, throw your arms up in the air. And it's racing. You never know what's going to happen. I'm just going to follow the touts pick on YouTube. And that's okay as well. I get it. It can be frustrating. It's challenging. But it is ultimately rewarding when you're able to look through and make the right decision on, I think there's speed in this car, or uh, I know Martin Truex Jr. is fast. I'm interpreting the data. He's going to score points, and he does. And when you do the work and you get it right, it feels great. Not that it doesn't feel great to follow a tout win money as well. You can go that route. That's fine. And then there's going to be a third thing, like, oh, the data doesn't matter. I'm just going to follow the tout. The data doesn't matter. Clearly, we showed that with Martin Truex Jr. To an extent, to a degree. And, and the other, and NASCAR kind of gets a bad rep at times, but in the other sports, there are plenty of times where a player with a great matchup, huge usage rate in basketball, meaning he's always got the ball in his hands, he's shooting, he's scoring, he's assisting, plays tons of minutes, just has an off night. The data told you that this guy is going to smash, he didn't smash. Do you walk away saying, oh, well, data doesn't matter? Now, that happens more infrequently in the NBA. It happens less often in the NFL. It still happens where the predictive data doesn't get it right. That's just the way the world works. I mean, join the business world and you'll see that they're constantly using data to try to predict markets and to make money. And if the data always, I don't even, what would that world look like? If the predictive data were always right, if the algorithms always nailed it, what kind of weird utopia slash dystopia will we live in? Thank God sometimes it's wrong. Now, unfortunately, in fantasy NASCAR, its success rate's a little bit lower. But that's also an opportunity. you got to step back. 
and see what kind of beauty this tool can be for you, this spreadsheet, if the data were always right and highly predictive in NASCAR, like it is in NFL and NBA and MLB, and you've probably dabbled or you play those fantasy sports. Now ask yourself, who from night to night often wins the big GPP in NFL, NBA, MLB? Because of the predictive data, the computers and the sim tools and the projectors and the guys that are able to build 150 lineups have a huge advantage over you, the blue collar common man, the working man. And so they filter their money in that knowing that they have such an advantage to fleece you. In NASCAR, there's less of an edge with Sims. There's less of an edge with projections and touts projections. It's much more up to the blue collar. He's just a common man. A little dusty roads action for you here on this Monday morning. You've got a better chance. It's not as much David Goliath, although the whole David Goliath story is completely misinterpreted. You can look that one up. Read Malcolm Gladwell. But you understand the reference. You're not going up against a giant NASCAR. The odds are tough. The challenge is there. But you can do it. You can take it down. You can win a GPP. You can beat the big guy. But one of the problems I often see is people are like, yeah, you got more of a chance in fantasy NASCAR because the data is not as predictive. Okay, so that thought right there that the data is not as predictive and it creates you know, less of an advantage for the top guys. But then yet, I still see people following too much of the top guys, following the touts picks. So if... The rule that you followed led you to this. What use was the rule, right? That's the uh, No Country for Old Men line. Great book, great movie. I suggest checking on both. I really like It's fascinating how they are identical. Very rarely do you get a book and a movie that are identical. Uh, the movie is terrifying. The book is terrifying. It's suspenseful. It's amazing. Uh, for the guys that don't like to read books, everyone in this audience, No Country for Old Men. Pick it up. You'll love, but I've already seen the movie. Trust me, it's really fun to read the book and look at. Just Google Wikipedia how that whole film slash book came about. It's a, a very fascinating story. But if the rule that you followed led you to this, then what use was the rule? Look, if the data says that you really can't predict this stuff to a high degree, then why are you trusting someone who's making picks? Because they're looking at the same unpredictive data. Now, in the case that they get it right, great. You just followed their pick and you didn't take down the GPP by yourself. You cut it. You split it. You finally got one or you got another one and it's a split cut one because you didn't just follow the idea that you had in the first place, which is the data is unpredictive. So if it's not really going to give me any certainty, then it's not going to give the guy with 150 lineups any certainty. It's not going to give the guy on YouTube any certainty. So maybe I should just do it on my own. Now, that being said, I will probably be a guy on YouTube talking before shows and races because I've got to do infomercials. I've got to drum up support. And I like talking to you. But you know I've always been the case of do your own homework. Don't just follow the picks. Don't just fade the tout picks. Do your work. This is a fantasy NASCAR sport where you can use unpredictive data to win GPPs. I'm not saying that you have a huge chance 
I'm saying that your odds are better than the other sports. Because it's unpredictive, a lot of like big whales tend to stay away. They'll be around for big events. They'll be around um, in the fall. They're absolutely gone. So the waters are very clear and ready for diving in because they're playing fantasy football. Right now, coming into the spring, especially the Millie Maker at Daytona, they're all going to be there. And they'll be there throughout the spring because they don't have any other fantasy sports to chase. Also, this is their profession. They've got to put money on the lines. So they'll be in the NASCAR streets. But those streets will empty out as football comes around, clear waters, and your advantages will become even better. And so I would highly suggest that you really don't follow the touts at that point, and you really do your own date work. And if you've been playing fantasy NASCAR all season by that point, going over the spreadsheets every week by that point, you're going to be in a really strong position. So maybe, you know, this spring through summer, fighting the whales, eight, 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 Moby Dick, I, Ahoff, I, I don't know, whatever. Building up your strength, getting your muscles ready for your, your time to pounce. Ahab, Ahab. Those, someone's laughing at me out there. And not in a kind and gentle way. So let's look at some practice correlation. I'll just go ahead and jump to it. You're never going to look at these numbers and see for sure, like, oh, yeah, well, that's obvious. So one way to look at it is we can simply see, all right, here are the practice times. And over here are the stats from the race, average running position, finishing position, some of the key metrics to look at, hog points scored. These are the things that we're really trying to predict. We want to predict where you're going to finish and whether you're going to lead a bunch of laps. And so before a race, we often try to say, all right, the guys that finished the top 10, were they top 10 drivers in practice? And you can try to go through here and look at the data, and that's fine, that's good, and you can get a pretty good idea. Yeah, Trucks was fast. Dylan wasn't. Bush was fast. Alex Bowman was fast. He finished his fourth, although it was kind of a funky finish because he got that because of the restarts. But nonetheless... Even with the restarts, he held his position, and you hold position when you're fast. Larson didn't show anything in practice, but he kind of did. If you look at his overall average, that's a situation where you would want to look at the lap-by-lap lap data. Reddick, so there's ways to look at it, interpret it, or another way that I'm, again, tinkering with because the fantasy NASCAR spreadsheets are living, breathing organisms. Over here we can see something I'm messing with. So what I'm comparing is your ranking practice on a five-lap run versus your finishing position. What was the difference? So Martin Schick Jr. on a five-lap run ranked numero uno. What was his finishing position? Numero uno, so we get a zero. And what I'm looking at in the green is, all right, who was in three spots? Who's practice? Because we're just trying to find some correlation, see how connected practice is to the racing. Some tracks, some events, it might be more so than others. But we don't know until we start going through a bunch of the different data points. And these sheets will become more valid and relevant as we build up data throughout the season at correlated tracks. Still early days. But if we look at just this one LA Clash 2023 in isolation, in a vacuum, which is never really a good idea. You can see that Truex, his five-lap run, his 10-lap run, his 15-lap runs in practice, 
were all right there compared to his finishing position. So there definitely was a correlation. He was pretty much the fastest car in every run of practice. He wins the race. Over here, we can compare average running position versus his five-lap run of practice rank. His average running position versus his 10-lap average rank. And again, it's just separated by one spot, meaning that he pretty much ran the same in the race that he did in practice, which was the fastest. You can see here again. And then last but not least, we're looking at practice rank versus hog rank, meaning we take your hog or dominator points, and then we sort them from the driver who scored the most hog slash dominator, or, or you could say fast lap laps lead points, and rank them from top to bottom. And there is some difference, but he was up there, right? If you compare his 10 lap average, his 15 lap average to where he ranked in terms of hog points, in which, where did he rank in terms of hog points? Fourth, he scored 12. Pretty good correlation. Fast car practice wins the race, leads laps, runs fast laps. Great, but that's just one driver. Now we can do that for everybody and get a kind of a little bit of an idea. If you're looking at the screen, there's green. The yellow is, green means within three spots. So there's not much separation within three spots. If your practice time rank is within three spots of your finishing position, or more specifically, your average running position, then I would say there's correlation that fast cars in practice tend to be fast cars in the race. The yellow is where we've expanded to, all right, we're within five spots. For the most part, it looks like there's a little bit of correlation, not a lot. You can see, obviously, there's these gaps of white but that's always going to be able to be explained by racing events and place differential coming into play. There's always going to be a significant amount of events. You're never going to get a perfect correlation. A perfect correlation would be a green flag race without any wrecks or any mechanical failures or any pit road shenanigans. And you know, that's not going to be the case. That's the only way you would ever get pure correlation between practice and a race. Let's just make sure that that's clear and stated because that's an impossible scenario. Once we know oh, that is an impossible scenario, we have a completely green flag race with no randos. If we say that, then we can step back and say, as I look for practice correlation, I should never look for perfect. Say that with me as a chant almost. Your Apostles' Creed. As I look for race correlation, I am not looking for perfection. That race does not exist. That race is an impossible scenario. That race is a green flag race without mistakes. So then you have to look in your brain and say, well, what kind of correlation do I need to see? What's my number that says, if I hit this number as I look at the data early in the week, then when I get to the weekend and I'm analyzing data, I'm gonna trust the data. What's your number? Early in the week, you're going into the clash and you're looking at previous year's data like we are now. now. How much correlation do you need to see on the screen given the fact that you can't have a perfect race, given the fact that there's gonna be spins, how much do you need to see? And if we look at the data after you set that number and you like 
the correlations got over that number, then by the weekend, you should be able to tell yourself, trust the practice data. If perhaps you set the number, then you look at the previous year's stats and previous year's results, like, wow, I don't see quite enough correlation. Then when you get to the weekend and you're building your fantasy NASCAR lineups, you're not going to lean as heavily on practice data. This is a great way to differentiate whether it is to lean in or to lean out, but you're using the data, you're interpreting the data to help you go one way or the other. And often, it doesn't matter which way you choose, it's probably going to get you on a separate path from a lot of players. It's definitely going to get you off the beaten path of just tailing the touts. And you started early in the week, looking at the practice correlation and trying to come up with a game plan of, do I want to lean heavy in the data or pull back? Leaning heavy, you're probably going to go in your own route. And then if you pull back, you're probably also going to go your own route. But again, right here, if you're looking at the screen saying, uh-oh, that's a big swath of white. There's a lot of drivers there, Kyle Larson, Tyler Reddick, and Ryan Priest. The practice data doesn't necessarily correlate with finishing position and average running position. Again, there's going to be events in the race. And typically, names like Larson and Reddick, that shouldn't be what we see. I'm not too surprised to see a Priest be one of the outliers. It's going to be in every race. Overall, though, we're seeing a good bit of colored in boxes. Now, we can go down to the bottom a spreadsheet and look at some calculations and you can see here how many drivers there were 27 drivers that made these runs of the 27 how many had a significant which is within three spots correlation of five lap practice rank and their finishing position seven hit that so 26%, a quarter, not the greatest number. Doesn't necessarily tell me that practice is incredibly aligned. You can see through. Now, how about within five spots? That's about 40% of the field was in, within five spots of the finishing position, which finishing position is not always the greatest metric, especially in this race where you get some drivers like Bubba Wallace who should have maybe won, finishes 25th or whatever he did. Maybe you feel more comfortable using average running position because it's a more consistent tool. It's less affected by these big swings. And we'll see again, seven and 10. 10 lap average was a little bit more predictive. So from this data point, maybe you don't want to lean completely into practice. Maybe you don't want to lean completely out of practice. Maybe you simply just want to know which data point do I want to look at? Maybe I'm more concerned with 10-lap average over 5-lap average. This is a super short track. What can you really show me on 5 laps? Maybe you need to run 10. You know, if we're at an intermediate track, 1.5 mile, 5-lap average can be a very significant number and much more important than 10-lap average. Usually, though, at the shorter tracks, the 10-lap average is going to give you a really good taste of whether that driver can handle you know, the repetitive flow, the braking, the on-throttle, off-throttle, getting through traffic. And so we see here, within five spots of practice and average running, because you have 52%. That's pretty significant. And that might lead you to believe that, hey, I want to look at 10 lap averages in 
the coming race. And then last, we can look at hog points and average rank. If we look at every lap the driver ran, 12 of the 27 were within in terms of hog points. Now, that doesn't mean everybody hit. What it also means is, yes, the guys that hit, hit. And the guys that weren't supposed to hit, didn't hit. If you were slow in practice, so your average lap ranking is going to be quite slow. And then you went in the race and you didn't score any hog points. Well, then you're going to show correlation. So it's not just all about the guys that hit. It's about the guys that miss as well. So, yeah, some fast cars hit in practice. And so they show up as a significant hit. Some of the slow drivers didn't come anywhere near scoring on the whole one. Same thing over here when we're talking about average rank positions. Not just, hey, it predicted he was the fifth fastest car in the race and he ran around seventh. It also will say, hey, you were the 19th fastest car in practice and you ran around 19th. That's a hit. Either way, slightly predictive. With these data, I'm still early. I'm going to keep going through it, but. My early takeaway, this is not the most predictive race, but it seems that there is enough correlation for me. Obviously, Truex, we got it. Bush, fast in practice. Bowman, kind of worked out. But it's not completely perfect because we do get, if you've watched the Clash race, that handful of cautions that are going to make lineups a little bit different, make lineups a little bit unique. And we can see that when we look at the past optimal lineups at the Clash. And that's every race, folks. And you don't throw up practice at every race, do you? You don't ignore the fantasy NASCAR spreadsheet at every race. I will expect there to be a handful of wrecks again, and it's going to do a little bit of shuffling of the fantasy lineup. And two of the drivers that you believe would be there, two of the drivers that deserve to be there, pop out. And two guys that you didn't expect pop in. That's just the way that it goes. If you can build 150 lineups, it helps. If not, you just hope that you end up in the right spot. But when we look at the lineup overall, Mark Trix Jr. was fast in practice. He ends up in the optimal lineup. Kyle Busch, fast in practice, ends up in the optimal lineup. Is it easy? No. Is it a bumpy road? Yeah, but he gets there. Alex Bowman gets there. He did show some speed. Larson, I think it's Kyle Larson. He's completely ignoring because of practice. So, yeah, it's sometimes going to be talking out of both sides of your mouth. Like, I believe in practice, and ah, it's just practice. It's just the way that it goes. But at least out of half of the side of your mouth, you are talking about practice. And although you may not believe that the practice data is as predictive as we would i mean it's not it's not as predictive as we would like but it is because if it were highly predictable then this would be like nba fantasy and it would be like nfl where the big guys are always going to win i understand we want our cake and to eat it too we want predictive data and we want to have a chance it's just not going to happen the beauty of the practice data being subjective and up to the mind's eye and the owner's eye is that you can really build different lineups. You can really go in different directions, like taking a Ryan Priest. You didn't really like what he did practice-wise, but you know he's got a storied history of modified racing on the short tracks of New England. And so you weigh that in as well. 
lot of human element to this. And it can be a flaw in many other sports, but it can definitely work out for you. So ultimately, it's a big positive takeaway. The data is predictive, just not as predictive as you want it to be, but it's also just as predictive as you want it to be because it allows you, the common man, to build by hand, have some fun, and enjoy fantasy NASCAR. So thanks for joining me again for another fantasy NASCAR podcast. Like, subscribe, share the video. February, $30 if you want to get access to this data and the many other pieces of data that I'm going to create throughout the months and years. Uh, Tips are always welcome. Subscribe, share, running out of gas. We're ready to start the week, though. Trip Flight's fantastic.